Welcome to a brand new episode of the ER Podcast, the chronicle of American business and technology. Managers who are leading to growth in business and increased profits by automating those time-consuming tasks that nobody likes doing. It's about building the digital framework to scale unpredictable markets with maximum certainty. There's hundreds of enterprise software products. There's a thousand business stories in every city. Here, we take a look at the forward leaps of clients and industry affiliates of Profit From ERP. Welcome to the ER Podcast, Episode 1. Actually, this is Episode 1, Version 2.0, as we come back to rework our first ever introductory show to update how far the ER Podcast has come in the last few years. New sound, new intros, new bumper music, so much better. You're going to find 27 other episodes in the old format for a while, at least. Not as flashy, but still some great content, just the same. But the first episode of any podcast series kind of defines what it is, what it's about, and who we are. And the ER podcast is all about the business software without the marketing hype. How to avoid common ERP disasters, and they're more common than you might think. And ultimately, how to turn your project toward greatness with real-world stories of businesses and business successes, and we expand out from there. We originally launched the ER Podcast back in 2019. Of course, not much has happened since 2019, except maybe everything has changed in the world of business technology. Business technology's made greater strides in the last four years than in the last 20. An overstatement? Let's talk about it keeping costs down on technology projects. The ER podcast is really about business consulting surrounding the ERP effort. And we'd be pretty poor business consultants if we didn't come up with a business cost justification for our services. Our go-to-market trick was figuring out how we could offer expertise on the business side of ERP without costing clients more. And guess what? It turns out they weren't satisfied with get more without costing more. So we came up with have it all and still net save you money. We'll talk about that. But in the last 25 months, the world has shifted under our feet and mostly the nimble have prospered, leaving the non-nimble to say, hey, what about us? We'll talk about that too. Markets have changed. Workforces have changed. Digital cloud-based business quickly moved leaving the server-based guys holding their state-of-the-art circa 1980s technology while saying, what just ran over us? The point being, when it comes to business software, textbooks, they're useless. By the time you write a book, edit it, get it to print, the technology has changed. Tried it twice. (laughs) Business school, you could take a college course, but the class syllabus is outdated after the first semester. Taught that too, decided I didn't like reworking class content every six months. The internet, there's tons of web pages available. Most of it covering enterprise software is kind of vendor-sponsored and and what we call a marketing trap. Just give us your email and your phone number, and and within the week, 22 salespeople have called and left a message on your voicemail to want to learn more about your business. So where do you turn for actual, actionable information? Well, you know, most CFOs today rely on word of mouth from other companies who've already been there and done that. So what we're doing is we're gathering, reporting, and packaging that information, people that have done it, in the ER podcast form. And where do we get all this info? 
The ER Podcast is the digital voice of our company, which is called Profit from ERP. It's a software selection and implementation advisory service, and these are the stories of the lessons learned, successes earned, and the methodology top tech adopting companies are using. And along the way, we're going to tell you some things like how the business software industry works, what their incentives are, which are different from incentives that might actually benefit your company. We'll tell you why this industry has an 80% failure rate, what's behind that horrid number, and why, if you don't know the pitfalls, 8 out of 10 times you're going to end up with a mess on your hands. Basically, you buy software from the software vendors, you contract with service providers to install and, and sometimes help you maintain the software, and how much does all this cost? There's a reason they refer to it as an investment. Because if you do it right, you can take this software, you can take these experts, and you can work it all together. And if you do it right, you can make the software project cost less up front and then even pay for itself quicker. You can actually make profit from ERP. Are you noticing a recurring theme here? That's what it's all about. We don't sell software. We're not the software consultants. We just help you bring it all together and create the profit from ERP. And that's what the ER podcast is all about. It's stories from the world of business. Yeah, we link to a lot of the business press and, and track trends that way, but our main stories are our client success stories, the projects we're working on today and the companies we took live recently. Here's my deal. I've, I've been at this a long time, over 20 years. That's eons in technology years. I worked in cloud ERP before it was called cloud. It was called ASP, application service providers, a term that's so old <laughs> that not only does nobody use it anymore, nobody even remembers what ASP stood for. I had to look it up myself. But back then, we tried a lot of things that didn't work because they were too early to the market. A decade later, cloud computing eventually started to catch on, at first very slowly, and, and now all of a sudden, and it's everything everywhere. So the point is, it's great to have good ideas, but it's more important to build your technology practice around ideas that have already worked, proven commodities and practices. I also dealt with a lot of technology hype early on. As part of the MBA program I was in, we did a lot of internships with dot-com businesses right around the year 2000. And we used to hear a lot of things that sounded new and the internet was relatively new and everything was booming. At the time, VC investors were just tossing money into the dot-com businesses like crazy. And some of these young CEOs would say things like, um, we're currently losing money on every transaction, but we'll make it up in volume. <laughs> and, and okay, for Amazon.com, scale actually worked eventually, but even those guys had a scary burn rate. I don't, I don't even know if anybody tracks the metric burn rate anymore, but... That was how fast your dot-com was burning through your venture capital cash. Anyway, for every Amazon.com out there, there were thousands of others whose success was not so much. One CEO actually told me that he didn't know what his company was because no one really knew what the internet would eventually become. We did a thesis on his business model, and in the end, we told him the only effective core competency they had was the ability to raise funding. None of their product offerings really had a viable market. And that lasted until it didn't. I mean, you have to learn to become a student of both the market and, and what's going on. I watched some ERP customers early on make millions in a few months and 
Other project managers lost their jobs due to the failed ERP implementations. My question was always, what made the difference? What, what made one fail and another wildly succeed? And if I could bottle the winning solution, that effort, well, that's what ultimately led to produce the profit from ERP methodology, capturing more of what the market-leading ERP adopters were doing and avoiding what sunk the failed implementations. Think of all the changes we've seen recently. BI, business intelligence, was supposed to revolutionize everything. And then blockchain was the end all. And all the journalists who wrote those stories, the tech journalists, they're writing today about AI, artificial intelligence these days, because plain old BI is completely passe. But blockchain, business intelligence, artificial intelligence, it's all market intelligence that's the critical piece. What can we take that's worked in the market? What can we take that's worked in the real world and rework it in a new situation? The thing is, MBA programs are great, but the good ones don't teach answers. They really teach you how to ask questions. So far, the 2020s looks like a decade of hyper-volatility market-wise, politically, economically, with a lot of factors. And if you factor in the normal acceleration of change, which apparently means change happens faster and faster, I mean, it's true we've been seeing increasing chains for the last couple of decades. Toss that in with a COVID pandemic here and there. It's, it's enough to make your head spin trying to keep up with it. One constant that we see is that companies who have had technology in place to be able to pivot and rapidly adapt during periods of extreme market change have fared better. Many even having super profitable responses to disruptions while other traditional businesses languished. Now, can we turn every company into a digital powerhouse? Wrong question, but the answer is no. Not, not with 1980s era business technology underpinning the business. But how would you propose these companies afford a complete massive digital transformation? Okay, one of my best early clients was this family-owned supplier of, of restaurant ingredients. Solid underpinnings, good at what they did. They couldn't afford much technology at all until they brought on a, a former software consultant as their new CTO. He helped show how they could save with ERP, savings and labor, efficiencies, productivities. And they ended up such a huge ERP success that we published a marketing success story on our website of the ERP software company I was working for at the time. Six months later, I found out they'd have bought a BI tool from another software vendor and automated their sales team. That, too, showed up as a success story on that software's vendor's website. And I was like, wait a minute. These guys are our success story. What are they doing with this? And then a year later, it happens again. Another software purchase, another website success story. Within a few years, I think they were on eight different software vendors' websites as a huge success story. I'd never seen that before. ERP, BI, supply chain, food safety, traceability, every software they deployed turned to gold. Here's what was really happening. They did intense business analysis, followed by systematic improvement via software applications, along with carefully managing the results of those software expenditures, making sure the company actually made money with each software project, and then plowing a portion of the resulting profits back into more technology, which created even greater margins, and it just snowballed from there. It was a restaurant ingredient company 
not what you would think of as a digital company, but one of their core competencies became the ability to efficiently acquire, adopt, and monetize technology. Now, if you'd walked in the door at the beginning and told the CEO about digital transformation, investing heavily in technology, the answer was no, we're a small family-owned company, margins are tight, yada, 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 a billion reasons, why not? But incrementally making each small technology change pay for itself? Well, that restaurant ingredient company became so efficient that there was a national restaurant industry downturn period, but they actually grew because they were acquiring restaurant chains from their competitors who were going out of business. And this was a decade before the COVID shutdowns really hurt the restaurant industry, but they still managed rather well there too. The question is not, should you invest millions in digital transformation? The question is, are whatever technology investments you do undertake, are you sure that they're gonna be paying for themselves? And then some, and then some more. Because it won't work if you select the wrong ERP. It won't work if, if you go in with the wrong implementation partner. It won't work if you blow the budget and have huge cost overruns. It doesn't work if the December go-live actually happens sometime the following July. It doesn't work if what you thought you saw in the demo isn't actually in that software at all. There's a lot of things that need to go right, which is the expertise that Profit from ERP brings to the table. Now, look, we don't, we don't profess to know everything, but we do know the right questions to ask when it comes to ERP, and we do this constantly over and over again. Our typical client company has an evolving IT technology changes going on, all the Office 365 products and Outlook and things of that sort, but they don't really undertake major operational software changes, maybe once, sometimes maybe twice in, a, in an entire decade. Like I said, there's a lot needed to achieve profit from ERP. And while we've listed some of the issues today, we really haven't gone into depth of any of them. We'll do that in future episodes of the ER Podcast. We'll talk all about it and more. And, it's, and we'll get started in episode one of the ER Podcast right after this word from this week's sponsor. The ER Podcast. This episode of the ER Podcast is being brought to you by Cavallo. As experts in distribution for over 20 years, no company's better positioned than Cavallo to revolutionize your operational efficiency. Their powerful and flexible order management and analytics software is designed to get the most out of Microsoft Dynamics GP and Dynamics 365 Business Central and to make ERP work for you. Unlock your business's potential through 100% visibility of your inventory rich insight into your customer analytics, and an unparalleled level of customization over your user experience. Check them out at cavallo.com. That's C-A-V-A-L-L-O.com. Special thanks to our new sponsor, Cavallo. Great resources for the dynamic GP outfits. A mentor and a good friend, Russ Groff, heads up their sales operations there. I met Russ many, many years ago when I first broke into the ERP industry. I was doing sales in the program I was selling. Uh, got sold to another software publisher, and I entered, ended up interviewing with Russ. And he, he helped my fledgling sales career continue, and I ended up a lot of places I never thought I'd be. I did okay in sales, but I had a fatal sales flaw, or a fatal flaw for a salesperson. What you want in a salesperson is somebody who sells software. I did fine in that part. The next thing you want in a salesperson is somebody who sells one, and then is off to sell the next one, and then is off to sell the one after that. My issue was I was always wanting my sales customers to really succeed with the software I'd sold them. 
I thought, you know, if these guys are successful, they'll tell others and they'll tell others. And I got so focused on the after sales activities. Well, I just wasn't the best sales guy, but it led to becoming eventually a fairly decent business consultant. Anyway, all thanks to Russ Groff, who you'll now find at Cavallo. Great guy. Get to know him. The ER Podcast. Back to the ER Podcast, episode one. Like I say, I started out on the consumer side of the industry in the 1980s, helping turnaround companies with technology. They'd call me the internal VP of admin or manager of some type. I switched to the outside where I had more fun working with technology. I ended up working for dozens of software vendors in the 90s. Resellers, consulting teams, CPA firms that had technology groups. And before you ask, uh, why can this guy keep a job? Here's secret number one. The software industry is super volatile. Mergers, acquisitions, spinoffs, bankruptcies. That smiling sales guy and his corporate PowerPoint showing you how super biz pro deluxe for Windows or whatever is the unbroken industry leader for the last 25 years. And it's fine until you invest tens or hundreds of thousands only to find six months later the company was just acquired and everyone you've ever talked to with is no longer with that company. And you can't get anyone else to answer your calls. Look, it happened to me one time. I was the West Coast manager for a software program, multi-million dollar, near tier one package. Suddenly a buyout was announced and, and here comes a call from HR telling me where to send my laptop and BlackBerry. Uh, but, you know, this was back in the beginning of the iPhone era and all my customers had this iPhone phone number for me. So they continue to call me and... I decided I'd been through enough mergers and acquisitions. I decided I'm going to go out on my own and, and consult independently. But I go back to the acquiring company and tell them, hey, there's customers out here that need to buy software. I couldn't find anybody to talk to on the website. I couldn't, I didn't know who to contact. I couldn't get this company to buy software. And I was sitting there with willing customers on the street. So it's got to be frustrating for people that don't even know the software industry to have to deal with that. But that launched my independent software selection practice in 2014. Anyway, I learned firsthand that if you don't know the ins and outs of the software industry and by my third buyout, <laughs> I kind of began to recognize the signs. If you don't know about that, you could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a software package that ends up with zero support after a merger, buyout, or, or bankruptcy, what else? More than anything else, I slowly am learning the hard way. Start to understand the whole business software industry is like jelly. Every time you think you have a handful, it slips right through your fingers. So you better not walk in anywhere with assumptions. You better guard your client's interest like gold. And much like my early years in journalism, if your mother is in the software business and she tells you she loves you, you better confirm that with at least two other sources before you believe it. So anyway, how do we keep this content that we're bringing to you in the ER podcast? How do we keep it relevant to what's happening today? Well, as, as we speak, we have three clients evaluating software. We have two waiting for new hires to start their project. Uh, one just went live. Uh, we've got like 17 in different stages of, of uh, the rollout or optimization, that type of thing. And our active clients rotate in and out. We'll have a couple of dozen that we're working hard daily with now, and then, then a different couple of dozen in a few months. You begin to get a feel for the market in, in different parts of it. 
And that's what we do at Profit from ERP. So let's talk about that practice. Let's talk about our value proposition and, and, and why it makes sense for people to, to work with us. And that's how we get all these stories. The big question everybody asks with ERP projects so darn expensive, why would you toss on additional business consulting on top of the software licensing and the software implementation consultants? And that's a good question. But as the trial lawyers say, never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Here's the answer. Running a project through profit from ERP will, one, actually save our clients money, real money up front. And two, we help avoid the potential cost overruns tomorrow. And three, get clients quicker and more certain returns on the investment in the months and years to come. Let's talk about real money up front. You decide you need a new ERP system. You go out and issue an RFI. You pull your staff together and find out, hey, George in accounting, he was part of a group that went through an ERP changeover uh, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. And let's not really get into the fact that the market-leading software ten years ago when George got his experience in software projects, that leading software was developed maybe 10, sometimes 20 years prior to becoming the market leader. So the one product that George is familiar with that he chose 10 years ago, well, get ready for a 30-year-old program trying to keep up with today's workloads. Oh, but they have a new cloud version, you say? Is it really new? Or is it that 30-year-old code base that was ported to the cloud just like they ported it from DOS to Windows when that came out to client server when that became popular and then ported to thin client and then ported to browser based but it was Netscape Navigator only and then they finally got it fully browser based and now they've ported it again to run on the cloud that's a lot of porting to deliver that DOS based functionality to right here right now in 2023 but that's George's perspective. I don't know. Your mileage may vary, but you go with that. And lo and behold, Superbiz Pro ERP. It's, it's offered to you at a discount. Wow. How, how lucky can you get? 25%. That's fantastic. Maybe it's the end of the month and the Superbiz Pro guys are trying to, quote, make their sales number. Or, or it could be the end of the quarter or the end of the week or, or just Tuesday, whatever. You're going to get a discount. Party down. <laughs> However, you're a one-off purchaser of an ERP system. If you buy ERP today, uh, you may look at replacing it maybe in 10 years, 7 years. More likely, you're going to ride that Super Biz Pro ERP right to the end of the business. Profit from ERP is in dozens of ERP transactions every year, times a decade. From the software vendor's perspective, it's like Profit from ERP is a volume purchaser. You know, Historically, I mean, we've even had lots of clients choose Super Biz Pro, which is a name I made up just to be generic, over the years, as it used to be like a top option, right? And we've seen what Super Biz Pro would do, what their sales team would do to get business with sometimes huge discounts that make 25% look like pocket change. But with Super Biz Pro today, I mean, the technology's old in the tooth and sales aren't what they used to be. So if we did have a client where SuperBizPro was the right solution, that software vendor is going to discount at a minimum of 60% off list price. And compare that to your 25% discount. And I know you're a great negotiator. All my clients are. Last client I let negotiate his own discount came in really excited about how he got nearly 9%. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to say. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, anyway. Really, when it comes to software discounts, there's three factors. 
Profit from ERP is like a volume purchaser. From the software vendor's perspective, if a profit from ERP client gets a, quote, good deal, they are thinking that we're going to be back with other clients next month and the month after that. It really, price is the last reason we're going to recommend a piece of software. But from the software vendor's perspective, they just see more and more clients working with profit from ERP. So it, it makes sense for them. And experience. We've seen these 50 and 60% deals before, so we know what the real pricing structure is. We know what these companies will do to, to land these deals. And here's your deal. There have been one or two clients since 2014 who did not pay for the entire cost of profit from ERP's billable hours by the difference between that 25% discount they could have gotten for themselves and the discount we negotiated. That's right. Take your 25% discount as a starting point, and then the actual price you'll pay for software as a profit from ERP client. I mean, this could be a $300,000 solution, or a half a million, or $70,000. 40, 50, 60% off? The difference between your one-time discount and our volume discount has covered every billable hour we've put into our projects. Our services pay for themselves. I saw the street vendor in Mexico uh, with a sign that said, low prices, almost free. That would have been a great slogan for my consulting practice, but eh, it worked better for him. But seriously, you can see how we're not adding cost to a project. We're bringing savings in from the beginning. On a side note, this transaction is also a bargain for the software vendors. They know that profit from ERP clients are following a proven methodology and have a better organized buying process and are more focused on what's important and better prepared to go through what can sometimes be a difficult software implementation. They know we've looked at our client's software requirements to the nth degree, and there's going to be no surprises. Plus, it's a proven methodology for success. It works over and over. When you're following the profit from ERP methodology, it's smoother. Now, I didn't say 100% problem-free, but it's a smoother project for everyone, including the consulting group and the software vendors. And a quick word on trouble in implementations. There will be setbacks, but our profit from ERP alliances, the people that we partner with time and time again on, on situation after situation, these are guys that have handled those issues in the past for other clients. And we only recommend the vendors and consultants we know can do the job and we can count on when the chips are down. But that's, that's another podcast. Anyway, so for the first part of our value proposition, our fees are covered up front. So, so far, we've not had added any cost to your project. Now let's talk about avoiding the risk of cost overruns. 10 or 15 years ago, Gartner, an IT research think tank, they published this study and it said 80% of ERP projects fail. Fail if you measure them by the time to go live, the expected functionality that you thought was there in the demo, it never shows up in real life, or cost overruns. Cost overruns, the average cost overrun was 186% over the original estimate. That is the cost overrun on top of the starting estimate. And we're that was a, that was a median average, which means half of those projects were closer to 200 or 300 percent over budget. Now, let's take your ERP project. Say you're estimating hundred thousand dollars. Actually, it could be ten thousand dollars. It could be a million, depending upon the size of your company. But for discussion, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollar budget. The company president signs the licensing in August, and he gives you the job of managing this hundred thousand dollar project. 
And everybody's so excited. We're going to be on the new system by next April. But things happen. Key people go on vacation during the implementation. There's conventions to go to. The lead consultant leaves halfway through the project. There's a market delay. Any, anybody's guess what this market's going to do, right? And then the holidays hit and progress really slows. Key team members want to be off on both Thanksgiving and Christmas Day. And who knew? The consultants went skiing in Vail, a company outing they do every year. So now it's January and, and, and the project budget is 80% exhausted, but we'll still make that April go live. We might need to bring in a couple of experts who will get 300 an hour instead of 225 an hour. And there's one guy, he's really worth it. He's really good, but he gets 375 an hour. These are real rates, by the way, that consultants are out there charging. Okay. Not us, but other ones. May 15th, and oh, we fail the go-live readiness testing. But the consultants say it's an easy fix. We're just going to bring in a couple extra people. So April is out, but June, June at the latest. And we're, we're 25% over budget now, but that's that, there were unforeseen situations. June suddenly comes and goes. August, now August for sure. We're so close, but yikes, we're 50% over budget. In September, you're presenting a major PowerPoint, you're explaining to the board how great the new system will eventually be, and we're so, so close to go live. The consultants are certain this time, November is in the bag. Budget overruns are adding up, but, you know, whatever it takes, we're so close, and the the board seems to understand. At this point, ah, might as well push back to January 1st, might as well make year-end cleaner, and gosh, we almost made it this time. Finally, now, January 1st has come and gone. It's February, but we've had a soft go live. Everything except billing is on the new system. There's some glitches with cash flow due to invoicing running a couple weeks behind, but everybody's working Saturdays to catch up, and we had to call in a couple of billing specialists, more consultants. They're top consultants, and now it's March. Wow, the system is finally (laughs) technically up and running. That's all you care about. Wow. You're sitting in your boss's office. He shows you a report from the new system, by the way. That's pretty cool. And the report came in, according to the Gartner average, $286,000 on a $100,000 project budget. You score him. You hear yourself kind of mumbling. Well, nobody knew there were unforeseen circumstances. But really, he says it's, it, it's, it's really not your job, per se, that's in question. No. The question is, what is the president going to do to save his job? What's he going to do to show the board that he's on top of this? Nothing personal, of course. Unforeseen circumstances. Too bad you didn't listen to that prophet from ERP guy. His team has seen all this before. They've seen the unforeseen. They know what nobody knew. Here's the thing. If you have profit from ERP managing your billable hours, we work against the project plans from week one. You avoid getting out of control in the first place. We work with defined project plans created by the consulting groups. Show us your plan. What are you going to do? If the project plan from the consulting team shows deliverables, make sure the billables don't get out over the skis of the deliverables. That is, it's much easier to tell the consultants, hey, you told us at the end of month one, you deliver X deliverable for X billable hours. We're not there yet. If it's our team's fault, we'll deal with it internally. But if it's the consulting team falling down, we're going to ask for some non-billable hours to catch up to speed with the project plan where it's supposed to be on this date. Right away, that starts to set the stage for accountability on both sides of the table. 
before things get out of control, before the later stages where people are pointing back and saying, it's not our fault, you guys didn't finish the early parts on time, or whatever, right? Establish control early on so you don't end up in that chair with your boss a year later and a $286,000 report showing you why you won't be in this year's company Christmas card picture. 91%. 91% of budget is where the average profit from ERP-assisted project has gone live over the past few years. And yes, there's some complex companies and some complex situations that do take more effort. But we did take one project live earlier this spring at 63% of budget. But the majority will help you manage these projects from selection through implementation to go live. We work with the consulting teams who know how to first correctly estimate their projects and when they do, how to bring them in at or under budget. All right, value proposition. So we've covered how volume purchasing covers our cost, how managing implementations with an internal resource who's been there and avoids these massive overruns of time and cost But that's not really the actual value proposition of profit from ERP. Let's talk about cost revenue modeling. With profit from ERP, the first step is always a business analysis. It's it's from a software and technology focus. So like if all your POs were online and you didn't have to email each PO from one person to the next and the first person prints it out, gives it to the boss to sign, scans it back in, emails it to the next person to print out, sign, scan, repeat. Right away, we're saving time and effort, not to mention printer ink and paper, of the seven people that are tracking expenses and needing to sign off on POs. ERP is all about eliminating duplicate data entry. There's tremendous savings in labor, turnaround time, institutional drag all over the company. Secondly, we start talking to all the other departments. Could sales close more deals if engineering didn't take four weeks to turn around every quote? Funny how turning around those quotes with the ERP system only takes four days and now closing ratios bumped up by 10% and on and on and on through every department of your company. You have a great booming business or you wouldn't even be looking at new software programs. But the right software can really boost bottom line by making every department just a little more productive. It's kind of like putting a turbocharger on an engine. A great engine from the get-go, you just boost its capacity for input, you maximize throughput, and suddenly you got a lot more horsepower. Here's the thing. Your business may not need to approve POs or you may not need four weeks to get a quote from engineering. Profit from ERP helps you analyze your business, work with each department, and then come up with a business model that takes each small increment of productivity, improvement, 3% here, 7% there, doubling the business without doubling the staff, whatever. And we find the software that's best at attacking the issues specific to your business. If SuperBizPro can cut inventory carrying costs by an average of 10% for its clients, well, we'll come up with a goal for half. If we could achieve half the average rate of savings, well, that could add up to $200,000 a year around here. And we do it over and over again through all the departments setting easily attainable goals for every department, using software that's the industry leader in addressing your specific goals. We create a cost revenue model to show avoided cost, eliminated cost, potentials for greater return, and we show a payback calculation of when this new expensive ERP will pay for itself and model what that payback will be for the years after that. This not only helps us select the right software, 
but it helps us implement properly and then helps us track the results. Are you getting that 5% boost in inventory carrying costs? Have we cut time to close, increased accuracy, developed reporting that can make a difference? The universal question is always, what's the best ERP? And the answer is, it depends. For example, two companies, same industry. One is the low-cost value market leader. And the other one excels by incredible customer service and carefully tailored products for each customer. Those are two different ERP systems. Same industry, same size companies, completely different. We do a deep dive and we come up with specific requirements at the very start of the selection process. Doesn't this take time and money? Yeah. And you can do it at the beginning of your process and have the results that drive your entire project. Or you can go out and buy software and and get the consultants to come in. The very first week, what they're going to do to come in to configure that software, they're going to charge you $2.25 an hour to do the exact same thing a deep dive on the requirements. Only instead of driving your project, it's going to be driving a development effort to customize the things that their ERP doesn't really do very well, but are critically important to your business. It's kind of a pay now or pay way more later situation. And we're telling you that the deep requirements discovery should happen long before you buy any software. Why not undertake this effort when it's best practice for you and not the software consultants. Anyway, that's a short explanation of of one of a few dozen deep subjects, all of which we want to cover in depth and really give our listeners an understanding of the key elements of creating profit from ERP and creating a catalog content that nobody can get anywhere else. That's our story, and we're sticking with it here at the ER Podcast. So, now you're getting an idea of the complexity of the ER Podcast content. And it's all understandable in, in podcast size segments, but you just can't get it all in one podcast. So welcome to the show. These are the stories in the naked city. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Well, maybe it's not as dramatic as a, a crime podcast, but it would be a crime if you missed out on the one episode that had the business tips that saved your company. Hey, and quick note, we will always front load our information. Okay, that is, we're going to tell you, not just to tease you and keep you listening, but we're going to tell you what we're going to talk about. So if it's critical and relevant to you, keep listening. If not, check back next week. And this is how it works at the ER Podcast. I'm Gene Hammonds, your host and director of a consulting company called Profit from ERP. We help our clients evaluate and select ERP software bringing a network of trusted advisors representing every major ERP provider, as well as the implementation expertise with an eye on controlling costs, but really maximizing actual profit from ERP. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, drop us a review, and always remember the ERP comment line, 833-836-4440. Leave a comment, make a suggestion, give us a lead for a future show, Leave your contact info if you want to go into more detail, and we might just call you up and put you on a future podcast. 833-836-4440. And listen for the comment line segment in the future episodes. You just might be tomorrow's podcast star. 
This was another episode of the ER Podcast, documenting the ongoing evolution of profit from ERP with experience from over 450 ERP projects spanning the last two decades. We focus on the changes in technology emerging weekly, all to ensure profit from ERP. For links and downloads from today's podcast, visit ProfitFromERP.com, a production of Rolling Thunder Studios. Show note, as you review topics of ER podcast episodes 2 through 28, you'll see historic recordings dating back to the early days of the podcast, utilizing the format that we launched in those early efforts. We may update or, or perhaps we'll let you savor the historical authenticity of a former Far simpler time and place. Something like that. But anyway, we're out.